Welcome to the LDS Mission Cast, a podcast to educate and inspire in the great cause of missionary work. This is your host, Nick Galetti. Hello and greetings from Cartagena, Colombia in South America. More on why I'm not in Utah a little bit later, but this episode's guest is Ben Arkell. He runs a few different LDS and missionary-based Facebook groups, including the Preach My Gospel Facebook group and web properties like Mormon Light. He talks about how he is a an accountant for a drywall installer by day, but how he's been able to use internet technology to spread the gospel throughout the world. He has some really fun stories about his own mission to Panama as well. But before I move on, I want to point out something that some of you might be missing. On our website, LDSMissionCast.com, there's a blog where we have letters sent in from missionaries who appeared as guests on our podcast before leaving for their missions and are now serving missions. If you haven't subscribed to our blog, you can do that and get the latest news from these missionaries each and every week. And there are so many different highlights that I want to share with you coming from an elder Tanner Bennett, who was a guest on one of our earliest episodes. He's serving in Taiwan. In his letters that he sends every week, he reports on the different people in his area and the different successes and challenges that he's having. And in one, he reported that he had 14 investigators in his area. The next week, he had 17 active investigators. And he tells of a family in one week that prayed together to find out if they should be baptized. And then the next week, he reported that they accepted the invitation and will be baptized in a couple weeks. It's so empowering to see these different parts of the world where the gospel is relatively young and the work is expanding and moving forward. We will be adding new missionary reports from all over the world all the time, so stay locked in to the LDS Mission Cast blog to read some of these fantastic stories and see pictures of missionary work going on around the world. Music from this episode comes from our main guest, Ben Arkell's daughter, the Piano Gal. We'll have links to her YouTube channel in the posting for this episode at ldsmissioncast.com. After my interview with Ben Arkell, we have a Latter-day Live segment from Sean Rapier and the Latter-day Lives podcast with his guest, who is an entrepreneur and real estate mogul. He's an influencer in his own way, Jimmy Rex. He's got a, well, let's just go with funny story that happened on his mission in Mexico. Then I'm going to end with a short story from my time here in Cartagena, Colombia, and the many ways that we can recognize the hand of the Lord in bringing the gospel throughout the world and how our different life experiences can impact how we are as missionaries. So here now is my interview with Ben Arkell. Our guest on this episode is Ben Arkell. He's a, well, let's just call him a, a media whiz on social media. He has multiple <laughs> properties in various platforms, and we wanted to have him come on to talk about not only how that effort has exposed many people to the church, but also his own missionary service. So welcome, Ben. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start the list of all the different things that you currently operate online, which is, I know, a lot. Yeah. Including maybe even your daughter since. Yeah, yeah. So currently the kind of main push is Mormon Light, L-I-G-H-T, mormonlight.org. That started back in the day under ilovethebookofmormon.org. Doesn't come off the it's the not lips as easy, as, as easy. <laughs> and so Mormon Light's a little bit better. I'd find myself showing up to blog conferences and people saying, "Hey, well, you know, what's your website?" And I love the Book of Mormon org. It was kind of hard. So yeah, it took a long time. So there's a Facebook page there, and a YouTube channel, and then we have Preach My Gospel Facebook page. I think there's even an LDS YouTube video Facebook page, Twitter account called the Book of Mormon. That um, was the thing that started you in this, right? Yeah, it did actually. 
back when the Book of Mormon musical kind of took off, I was thinking about Twitter and what a great tool was to kind of talk about the Book of Mormon. But as I'd search it, I'd realize that all the content about the Book of Mormon was about the musical. People buying tickets or they'd say, I just saw the musical. It was the greatest thing ever. It was the most vulgar thing in the world, but so good. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, man, if any, if any honest seeker of the Book of Mormon were just to like search Twitter, they would never find anything about the true Book of Mormon. Yeah. So I'd, my beginnings were, was posting a verse a day you know, on Twitter. So that's where it all started. And that's got thousands of followers. So there was a Twitter purge recently you might have heard about where Twitter kind of purged some inactive accounts and they were talking about some famous people who lost, you know, Katy Perry lost such and such. You know, I lost about <laughs> 2,000 followers, but okay. I was at 50,000. That's so. still pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Twitter, it's kind of like the forgotten child, but I love it. It's it's one of my, it's my favorite just because I think it's where I started. But Okay. So that's your first love in social media. But yep. let's talk a little bit about the Mormon Light YouTube channel because I, I think I went there and I saw some missionary stories yeah. that you guys had put up there. Yeah, so the the idea behind that was, okay, so I'm on Twitter and I'm posting verses from the Book of Mormon so people can kind of read those. At the time, though, I'm thinking, okay, the number two search engine in the world is YouTube. Yeah. And so if someone's searching on YouTube the term the Book of Mormon, again, they'd find a lot of content about the musical a lot of people who have kind of negative views of the Book of Mormon posting their ideas, but not a ton of content about the Book of Mormon. And so I wanted to get a place where I could house people just sharing their sincere testimony of the book. And so that was the original idea. The hard part, I'd use Twitter as a tool to reach out to people and say, hey, I got this idea. I want to have people share a two-minute testimony of the Book of Mormon. Will you do it? And I reached out to literally hundreds. My direct message within Twitter was yeah. like, you know, I'd copy and paste and everyone would be like, oh, that is the greatest idea I've ever heard of. But people just didn't like filming themselves. Oh, yeah. It's nerve-wracking. And uh, and so, I I mean, I got, a, you know, a handful of people, a couple people from, you know, one late. My first video was from someone from Ireland, a new convert, and it was awesome. But then there's some missionary ones that kind of have crept in. Missionaries specifically talking about, I think, the Book of Mormon. I have a friend, Alex Belinsky, who runs a page that used to be called prepare to serve, but it's now called Lifey Mission, where he interviews missionaries as they're preparing for their missions. And so he was kind enough to let me use some of those videos that kind of had a Book of Mormon theme. Yeah. We kind of tweaked it after a little bit, trying to get people to to talk about how the Book of Mormon filled a need, you know, how a specific verse carried him through a trial, whether it be, you know, being diagnosed with cancer or unemployment or being a single mom. And I really think like, I still, every time I talk about it, I keep thinking, man, we need to, I need to do more of that. It's just really hard to have people produce their own content. Um, Alex does a great job with Life Emissions because he has a studio and he'll schedule people to come in. He has a camera equipment and he just sits them down. And So if I had more time, I'd probably do more of that. But Yeah. Well, it's a lot. Putting out content nowadays is not always as easy as just pointing a camera and hitting record. Yeah. So I can appreciate that for sure. Now you are, let's get into you a little bit more personally, um, as it might lead into uh, talking about your family and some of the things that are keeping you busy with that. But uh, where'd you grow up? So uh, originally from the Boston area, 
you had a previous guest talk about, yeah. and they just say Boston. Boston. <laughs> just because people know where Boston is. But Hingham, Massachusetts. Okay. It was uh, Eleanor Roosevelt called Main Street in Hingham, Massachusetts, the prettiest Main Street in the world or in the U.S. Okay. Small little town. Back in my day, 20,000 people. So grew up there. You don't sound like it. No, my I left my accent behind when I moved. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I never had it. My dad had a really thick one. Some of my sisters as well, but yeah, I, I don't have the accent. So what brought you? You said you left. Yeah. Did so, you leave for your from your mission yep, there? First eighteen years of my life in the same house. Loved it. Still love it. I missed the ocean. It was my backyard. You know. Went out to school at Utah Valley State College. Okay. For a little bit, and then went on my mission to Panama, and then came back. Went to BYU. Married my wife's from Sandy, Utah, and so we have kind of planted our roots here. <laughs> Let's talk about your mission in Panama for uh, for a moment. Interesting mission on probably at a couple levels that people who haven't been there may not understand. What's so unique about Panama as a mission area? So for me, it was arriving day one and being told my, by my companion that I wouldn't be speaking Spanish, which I thought he was. <laughs> so I knew Spanish pretty well. That's what your call said, right? I'd been to Guatemala before and felt like I knew, mich- knew Spanish pretty well until I stepped off the plane and heard them talking. <laughs> um, but then there's a Indian tribes that live there. And my first area was where a bunch of Kuna Indians live, and they speak a language called Tulegaya. And so he he dropped a gospel principles on my bed in Tulegaya and said, start studying, wow. you know. And two hours later, he started laughing. He was kind of joking because most of them speak Spanish, you know, the men. Oh, okay. Um, it was helpful to know Tulegaya, but yeah. So that's that's pretty unique. Another unique part was I spent five months serving on islands. And you think of island, you think of Hawaii. Well, this island, to walk from one end to the other, it took me three minutes. And I could ex- really? I could extend my arms out and touch huts on either side. You know, I'm, the, I'm the, this, you know, 6'2 white guy and these, you know, small little Indians who are five feet tall. and No running water. We had to place a big blue bucket underneath our roof to catch rainwater. rainwater. And then no, no bathroom. There was a dock with a hole no and we'd have to to use the facilities and <laughs> I mean you go to the bathroom right in the ocean and then hope this isn't too graphic but the fish eat your oh really before it hits the bottom and you know <laughs> and all they do is eat fish and so it's kind of like that's the circle the circle of, of life circle man of life. that's yeah. not good sushi yeah so <laughs> definitely a unique place we slept in a hammock no beds but awesome just is there a branch there I mean how, how does that work yeah, so there's, we actually, my first day there, we were helping construct a, a little chapel over the, really? wa- over the water. Um, over the water? What do you mean? So it, because there's not much room, there's, I mean, it's over the water. Like, like you're, like you're floating or well, you're on so a like pier? Two of the, yeah, so two of the like pillars are like on the ground, but then the rest of the building is, is actually over the water. <laughs> really? Which leads to some very <laughs> interesting experiences. Yeah. Um, one of which we're in a fast and testimony meeting. Okay. Which the branches were really small and it was, you know, very small, very few priesthood holders, maybe a total of like 20 people that were going at this time. Um, and someone's giving his testimony. And in the middle of his testimony, you hear like someone turned water on. Um, <laughs> and it was one of the little kids. You just walk to the edge of the chapel and there's like, kind of doors and it was just he was peeing into the ocean oh just because it's you're right there and so, so he just was taking advantage yep and he's literally i mean you look to your right and you're in the middle of the chapel he's you know 15 feet away and it, it's just a different 
<laughs> it's just a different world. Oh, uh, that's so much more distracting than just kids running up and down the aisles yeah, or kids <laughs> eat, chewing on Cheerios or something. You know? yeah. yeah. So you're you're having this fast and testimony meeting out over the water. I assume that there's no real waves or anything that could cause. Yeah. No. No. no none just, of that stuff. Right. No. That's still surreal to me to think that that's happening throughout the world. And you're you're not an old guy. You're a young guy. So how, how long ago was your mission? So 98 to 2000. So I'll be 40 next year. So, yeah. Okay. So actually, we're not that different. But that's that's still pretty pretty crazy to think that there's parts of the world that missionaries go where they're literally building their chapels. Yeah. No, it's and – it, and to be honest, there's difficulties. There's – you know, you hear the brethren when they're going in Africa now, they'll talk a lot about traditions that need to be left behind. You know, they'll talk about the dowry, how that's yeah. it's a, a big struggle for people who want to be married and live God's commandments. There's similar issues where I served. In fact, one of the branch presidents we had, he, he basically said they kinda they might have a belief that or at least some small groups would believe they come from a different atom that they don't really need the Book of Mormon, but it's kind of like if someone's helping you pull a canoe up, you don't really need them to do it, but it's kind of helpful to have someone else do it with, you know, pull the canoe up with you, and that's the way the Book of Mormon is. Interesting. And so there's, there the churches are there for a reason, and hopefully there's continued growth, but there's, I mean, there's some struggles there. It was very difficult as a missionary to, to try to fulfill your purpose and kind of have that clash between the doctrine and the tradition. It was so wonderful going back, not being a missionary and just being able to like just enjoy everything and love the people without having to stress about their salvation. Yeah. I mean, we were, <laughs> you know, we were on, on a nonprofit trip and just helping them to teach them how to brush their teeth and like doing hygiene okay. stuff. So that was just so much more enjoyable because anyway, it, it was definitely draining. Oh, I I can imagine. The, the one, let me tell you one other thing that yeah. was really fascinating about there is when we'd get mail once a week, we had to actually canoe to another island. <laughs> We had to ask somebody, a neighbor, like, hey, can we borrow your canoe? Which, I mean, they're the cut-out-of-the-tree canoes that are just, you know, really Real slender. Anywhere you, anywhere you go, you might you might fall off. So we had a fun time. We could, you know, row in about 15 minutes to Sukdupu, which was the other island, to get our mail. But that's one place where I learned the value of goals. Because okay. we'd, be, we'd be rowing, and your arms would burn, and you'd want to rest right away. But then I, I realized that if I said, hey... I'm gonna row 100 times in a row without stopping, and I just—I mean, it was—it was—it was cool to learn that you know I could push through to those 100 because I had that in my mind. Yeah. Anyway. Very cool. What a different experience. I mean, I can't imagine getting a mission call and then going to the mission, learning a totally different language, and then going on this island where you're having to go to the bathroom where the fish are eating your stuff. It's a different it's, world. I mean, we had— How, how do you picture that beforehand? You can't prepare for that. Yeah, you can't, and <laughs> you can't. And there's days we look out the back, you know, and our little hut was right up against the water, and there'd be an old lady swimming under our bathroom trying to find her nose ring that had fallen out the day before. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things they do is they put little beads on their arms and legs, and if they have to take them off to realign them or whatever, they, they don't go out in public because they feel like they're naked without their, without their, their beads. beads. They're called beanie, yeah. But what's just, the significance of it? They're just really colorful beads that are up and down their arms and, arms and legs, hmm. part of their kind of custom attire. And they have really beautiful, it's called mola. That's how they kind of make their money when big cruise ships goes, go, go by and stuff. But hmm. yeah, just beautiful people, beautiful place. Yeah, very... Not what I was expecting when I... <laughs> well, I don't even know how you can expect that, really. Yeah. 
So now you're uh, you come back home and you're married and you have some kids now. Yep. How many do you and your wife have? So we have six. Oldest is she's been 16 for about three years in her mind. So she'll be 16 <laughs> on August 9th. She's counting down the days. I think we're at day. I don't know. We're in the 20s. Youngest is four. So four girls and two boys. Cool. And one of them is kind of a rising star, right? Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if you want to say that. Yeah, she thinks she's famous. Yeah. Her, her siblings think she's famous. So Sarah, my eldest, she started a YouTube channel about uh, five years ago. She can play backwards. This is one of her little unique characteristics. She's like double jointed in her arms, so she can kind of <laughs> bend her elbows back a little yeah. bit more than a normal person could. And she was just fiddling around on the piano one day. She's taken lessons since she was five, but at this time she was kind of flipped around and started playing backwards. And we posted that video on my YouTube channel just so family could see. And uh, some big boy band, I can't even remember who it is. They like, saw it. Like an NSYNC kind of boy band? It was, it was the NSYNC of 10 years ago, whoever that was. <laughs> I'm not even sure. Um, but they were on like Nickelodeon and they saw the video and they claimed it the video of the day. And then she was on Dr. Oz, this small little, this just her clip of her video. And then on a couple other TV shows. And from there, like, let's just start piano Got channel, some momentum, you know? right? And we copied the piano guy's name and called her the piano gal. And yeah, she's kind of been growing ever since then. In the YouTube world, the big milestone is 100,000. Because if you get 100,000 subscribers, then you get this cool little plaque from YouTube. And so she hit that a few months ago, and we're just kind of waiting for our plaque in the mail. But she's <laughs> just she's really excited because she just released a... She's going to be releasing a website where she has merchandise with her new logo. But um, yeah, I think I saw the hat or something you guys yeah, had. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. The cool thing about it is she, you know, a few years ago, we're like, okay, this is great and all, but like, what are you really doing? You know, like, what do you really want to accomplish with this? And she gets a lot of comments from people who see her videos and they'll say, man, you're so talented. I suck. Like, I can't play mm. like that. Or, man, I thought I was good at piano, but then I saw you and I, I'm a loser. Or, I wish I could play piano like you. They don't play that. They do something else. And so, as we were kind of talking about this, Sarah and I were like, well, what can you, what can your message be? And so she, we thought about it and her message to the world is everybody has a light, excuse me, everyone has a talent. So find your talent. And then when you find that talent that God's given you, like share it with the world to bless people. And so her hashtag is find your note, mm. whatever that note may be. It might not be musical. It might be sports. It might be if you're just a really kind person. It might be whatever it is, find your note and then shine your light is her other hashtag. And so with the merch that she's coming out with, she's got a really cool logo with a note kind of encompassed by a flame. It's really cool to have a platform where people, you know, you're famous yeah. Yeah, for a few people. She's famous to a few, few people, but the ability to actually have a, a message that they need because yeah. a lot of people are put themselves down and just, I, I mean, everyone does it. You know, man, I wish I could be like that person, but you got to kind of just take hold of what you have and run with it. So, yeah. So, is this what you do all day? Is social media, videos, I, I wish. all that stuff? What's your day job? I, I work for a company that does drywall in Utah. I, I do kind of accounting. <laughs> it's not, yeah, definitely not in line with what I would love to do this full time, but yeah. you got the six kids and a mortgage. And so <laughs> it's not how it works. Yeah. I, I have a pretty early schedule. I'll, I'll try to wake up. I just adjusted it even more. I used to wake up at four 30. I try to wake up at four, do a little writing and go to the gym come back and do scriptures and be with the family and then yeah. go to work. But if you, in talking to you, I get the impression 
that, and I don't mean this to come across in any kind of a nasty way, but you didn't come from any particular background or anything that would have indicated that you or your family were primed to be these people that developed influence, to be an influencer yeah, yeah. online for the church. So first of all, what prompted you to get to that point? And the other side of that would be, why do you feel like it's something that you need to continue doing? Yeah. Because it's hard for people to stick with this stuff sometimes. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. One, like the one, the, because I, I hang out with a lot of influential people and they have like dynamic personalities. They have really amazing skills and they have lots of a big following. And I really don't. I'm kind of hiding behind like a brand like Mormon Lighter. I love the book Mormon. I've always kind of been there. And that's, you know, I, I think I've realized that's my role. Um, but one thing that I kind of, have thought about in the last little bit is I kind of view myself as someone who's behind a spotlight kind of I'm, I'm manning the spotlight and there's people on stage and what I'm trying to do is is share kind of whatever they're doing because I think they can help the world a lot more than I can so as an example we had you know we'll frequently on Mormon light I'll, I'll see just some cool Mormon doing some cool thing and I'll reach out to him and say hey like, that's really awesome. I want to share about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, please do. We had a missionary in Germany who was, who sang at a fireside. She sang a song called Plan for, Plan for Me. Talks about God's plan for her. Really pretty song, just like fascinating. And I somehow saw it on Facebook, reached out to her, got directed to the sister who actually filmed the video. And she was saying that she was at a fireside, saw this sister singing and thought, this is an amazing song. And she did some studio work, you know, sound and video. And so she had her in because she just kept feeling like she needed to have her come in. And she said she was praying one night and I actually made sure I had her exact notes, but she said she was praying one night to God, like asking if he would help make it work. And she said, when I finished the work, she prayed to God that it would kind of be fruitful. And she said, I got one word from him. Excuse me. She said one word, but it's two words. She got two words in her mind as an answer from God, and it said chain reaction. Okay. So she felt that if she, you know, recorded this video of this sister sharing this beautiful song, that just something would happen. So it turns out I saw this video when it had like 100 views on YouTube. It had been up for a couple of weeks. Um, and then I decided to write an article about it. It kind of picked up steam. Next day it had 3,000 views. And then LDS Living picked it up, and they shared it, and now it was, you know, 16,000 views. And now she's kind of decided, I mean, I saw this sister missionary in the studio again, so they're recording another video. Um, so I think that's, that story is just a good example of, I see lots of people who have cool stories or cool talents or cool things they're doing, and I just think I have kind of the properties that can help kind of boost yeah. whatever they're doing and shine a light on it, a spotlight, and then just, I mean, they kind of... So that's the Mormon light. You're, yeah. You're talking about doing this Mormon spotlight. Yeah, yeah. I think at one point you said that there's over 2 million impressions a month. Well, I think it's four now. Get. It's up to four. Yeah, just with all the, I mean, we're talking Facebook pages, YouTube channels, newsletters. That's incredible. That stuff. Yeah. I mean, when when if you were a missionary in Panama and you were told, hey, you're going to be talking to possibly 4 million people every month. No, it's pretty incredible. You would yeah. be like, yeah, right. But here you are now as being a, a missionary of a different kind with a huge reach, a huge audience. And that's kind of made me try to really figure out what it is I'm trying to do. Because you kind of alluded it to it before, or maybe I thought you did. But like, <laughs> there's there's a big, I know this guy named Spencer Taggart. You might know Spencer. Um, he worked at LDS Business College now, and then he worked with 
Boncom or an articulate. He's a really incredibly smart marketing guy, but he was also an adjunct professor at LDS Business College. And he teaches students, like, you need to determine your vision, like, now. Like, you have a vision you got to figure out before you do anything. Well, I'm, I was almost, you know, I'm 39, almost 40, and I'm like, I don't know what my vision, I don't know what, I'm just doing this stuff because it's good, you know? I didn't really have, like, this incredible story, didn't have any dreams, didn't have any visions, which... Wasn't that um, strategic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perhaps? Yeah. And as I was thinking about it and praying about it, and for years I've thought about it, but he, he was saying... 10 words or less needs to be your vision, you know, get really focused. And so I was praying about it at one point and I, th- I was reading somewhere into the Doctrine and Covenants because it says this actually a lot in Doctrine and Covenants. And one of the verses, I think in the first 15 chapters, it says this like 15 times, but it, there's a scripture that says, now as you have asked, behold, I say unto you, keep my commandments and seek to bring forth and establish the cause of Zion. And so I was thinking, seek to bring forth and establish the cause of Zion. Ten words. Ten words. Right on. I'm like, I'll run with it, you know? I mean, I think of like Moses. He Did he really know what his vision was supposed to be when he was 40? Maybe not, because when he was 80s, when a ton of the work he did was done. But for now, I'm just going to do what I can to help establish the cause of Zion. And what that means, it can mean a lot of things, but that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, and I, I'm kind of in the same boat in the sense that Sometimes I, I ask myself the same question, why am I doing this? And hopefully at some point in the why you're doing it, you develop the result of what you hope to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is part of your mission statement. It's implied. But here you are. You're not really saying, I need to have 4 million impressions a month. or You're not setting those kind of goals. Your goal is to establish the cause of Zion, and that's a big deal. But it doesn't have to be that manicured an idea. Yeah, yeah. No, and there, and there are a lot of things I am... As I'm realizing, look, I reach a lot of people and there's some needs I see. Like one of the needs I see, I've spent the last three years, I just got released, but I've been working with the deacons. Mm. And I just saw this need for young men to learn how to pray. I just felt like there's so many vain repetitions where I, I could go to a Tuesday night activity every Tuesday for three years and hear the same exact prayer every time. I mean, there'd be occasionally a kid or a young woman here or there that would actually you'd feel like they're speaking to God. But for the most part, it's, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Help us to be safe tonight. Yeah. When the time comes, help us to come safely. Amen. And I'm like, we're missing something here. Yeah. So one of the things I'm trying to, I've taught this to my deacons is how to truly pray. And we talk about a prayer journal and, and thinking and pondering about what you need and then praying to God for that. But then also I think a missing step in many of our lives is, in your prayers, you're telling God what you're going to do. I have a really cool experience where one of these Facebook pages, a friend of mine runs, and he, it's called The Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, this Facebook page. And I'm like, I would love it if he would share these videos I'm trying to do about The Book of Mormon to be perfect, perfect audience. And so I said, hey, would you mind scheduling these videos? And he's like, ah, I just don't think it fits my audience. I'm like, how's it not fit your audience? And he's like, well, most of them are non-members. I'm like... I know, like this perfect fit. And he's like, no, yeah, he's like, no. And so what I did is I, I prayed to God. I said, look, I think this would be a perfect fit. These videos on his page would be awesome. And I, then I told him what I would do. I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask him again. I'll reach out again. And then I kind of wrote down some other ideas of what I could do to maybe convince this guy to, to share just one video. I wanted this one video. And so I reached out to him again, and then he responded to me saying, you know, I've actually been thinking about it. I think I actually fasted too. One of the things I said I'd do is I would fast. 
So if you're ever praying for something and don't get it, just fast about it. That usually helps. <laughs> but he's like, I, I decided that I'll share this video, but I actually also decided I want to schedule all your videos for like ever. Okay. Okay. And so he just like, he's like, anytime you get a new video, just send it to me and I'll, I'll keep scheduling them until, until the day I die essentially. And so that was really cool for me to see because when God answers your prayers, a lot of times he gives you more than what you're asking for. <laughs> now you got In all this, this responsibility. Case, and... Exactly. It is what I, more than what I wanted. But so the missing step, I think, in a lot of people's prayers is we want God to solve a problem for us, but we don't tell God what we're going to do. And so I gave these deacons prayer journals and I'm like, if you, this happened, if you're on a baseball team, you want to get a hit because a couple of boys were saying that you pray to God to ask for help, but then you tell him what you're going to do. And so next week we came back and some of the boys were like, I prayed to God and I told him I was going to go visit the coach and stay after extra time to practice. And I was going to buy these new batting gloves, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I got a hit. And so they can see how, you know, we got to act. Right. President Hinckley was big about kneeling down and praying and then getting up and going to work. But I think people miss the point that in doing that work, sometimes we need to, t- we need to tell God first what we're going to do. Make sure when you get back at night, we check out those things we did. Tomorrow, we'll do the stuff we didn't do, and then write down, see how it's all kind of coming together. So one of the things, kind of back to the point of what am I trying to accomplish, I'm working on like a prayer journal e-course, whatever, oh, Okay. that I'll provide to people. Just I've done a lot of market research with people on my page saying, hey, what issues do you have with prayer? And they're, they, you know, they'll list them all. And I think a lot of these problems could be solved with a little course that might help them out. There's other things that I would love to do. But one of the things that always keeps coming back is the role that the Book of Mormon plays in all of this. I don't know. Are you are you a handyman? Um, in certain things. <laughs> so I'm not, spe- I'm not supposed to be asking you the questions, but okay. <laughs> I just don't want to talk so much. So I'm not, okay? Okay. But I'll go to YouTube. I'll look it up and sure. be like, oh, I could do that. The one thing I'm missing was the YouTube video, but the tool. Okay. You know, there's always a tool that helps you do whatever you need to do. And I think with what we're doing, trying to help people live better lives and come unto Christ, it's the Book of Mormon. That's the greatest instrument combined with the Spirit that God's given us. And so I just recently spent, you know, a bunch of hours trying to think of of how I could push that book even more. And so I created like three, you know, 200 memes of... It's a picture of Christ and then a verse about Christ from the Book of Mormon. I'm scheduling those out. And then I have an, a bunch of uh, memes of President Nelson and then his quotes from his last two talks that have been on the Book of Mormon. He's trying to spread that book because that book is the tool. Yeah, it is. And it's was there a, in that language that you were telling me about in Panama, was there a version of the Book of Mormon? There in, was, but it was an it was a abbreviated condensed, one. yeah. Okay. There was only about... Maybe 200 pages. Okay. That's interesting. Why only half or something? Why well, I think, mo- I mean, most of the war chapters aren't in there. I just think okay. that the time it takes to translate it and they just, I don't know if it's actually one they're working on. <laughs> I don't know if it's on their priority list to get the rest <laughs> done, but yeah, it is interesting that it was only. Yeah. And it is it is the missionary tool. We do have the responsibility to share it, but to know it, really. Yep. And uh so there's always more need for exposure to these things. And so you're you're doing a great work, you know, and again, and I think, I hope that part of the message that people take away is it doesn't require some master's degree. It doesn't require something crazy to get started and in being influential in positive ways with the, with the messages of the church. And so that's awesome. Uh, let's give 
a few of the the site names again to direct people to. Yeah. So mormonlight.org is mm-hmm. the main website. Mormon Light is on Facebook, Facebook page. There's a Twitter account. Same thing. It's just a, a smaller one that I just started just to kind of establish the brand there. But the Book of Mormon is the main one on Twitter. Mormon Light on YouTube. Awesome. Yeah. We'll put links to all those in the show notes for this episode. And maybe we'll throw on some music from your daughter if she's yeah, got any go. that's worth, <laughs> worth putting up and uh, and give her, you know, 0.1% more famous. Yeah, there you go. Nice. <laughs> And once again from the Latter-day Lives podcast, reporting for LDS Mission Cast, this is Sean Rapier. And my guest is literally a real estate mogul within Utah. He is uh, just an incredible entrepreneur and lives life to the fullest. My guest is Jimmy Rex, and he's got a great story from his mission. Jimmy? Yeah, I was thinking of one of my favorite stories that was also pretty humorous. And I I was in an area that had really had some problems, didn't have a whole lot of success baptizing. We found this lady... I was in Monterey, Mexico, and she was probably, I don't know, 75, 80 years old. She was a little bit older, but she loved listening to it. She loved the message, and she just loved getting into it. And she came with us to church, and she came on a fast meeting, uh, fast and testimony meeting, which isn't always the best thing for an investigator <laughs> to come to. And uh, But it was so funny because she came, and she got up, and she nailed it. She gave her own testimony and everything. And, but, and then, you know, so we kept going through the lessons and everything. Well, the members came to us, and they're like, hey, we really don't think she should get baptized. She's too old. And I'm like, did you not hear her give the testimony? Like, what yeah. is going on here? <laughs> and so they're like, well, let me interview her. Let me talk to her. And I was just bugged. I was like, these people are so negative. And uh, they talked to her, and they're like, well, all right, I think she's good. But she was, I mean, she was old. She was like, she had to be 80. And in Mexico, 80-year-old ladies can be really yeah, old, you know? sure. And so it comes the day for her baptism. I'm like, oh, man, I really hope she just shows for this. And we go to pick her up, and she is standing in the street with her clothes ready, just couldn't be more excited. And so we pick her up. We take her there. And uh, But I hadn't really thought through very well the whole baptism thing of this older lady because she's yeah. old and she's a little brittle, you know. Well, my comp, my companion, he... He does the baptism, and he goes to dunk her under, and as soon as she hits the water, she bursts up out of the water, so she never really goes under all the way, and she's like, and she's kind of like freaking out. She's like, you know, I don't think she'd ever had her head underwater before. (laughs) I'm like, oh, man, all the members are watching, like, "Uh, that was really, she just jumped out of the water. And so he's like, all right, let's try this again. He goes to do it again, and the same thing happens. She just wouldn't go under. She just would, did not want to go under. And, oh, and she goes, I don't want to do this now. And we're like, no, we're right here. We're in the font. You know, the you're getting baptized one way or another. And I tell him, I say, go forward. And maybe that'll work. I don't know what I was thinking. Because she forward. just got to go all the way under. So I tell him, I say, go forward. So he, he goes to go forward. And he throws her in forward. And now she's really upset because she's railing all over. And she's like, I'm done. What are you trying to kill me? And I, we talked to her for a second, and I'm like, I'm running in the back. I go throw some white clothes on. I'm like, let's make it a two-man job, you know? <laughs> let's just grab her. So she, I, we calm her down, and she's just like, she literally says, you know, in Spanish, are you trying to drown me? Like, what? she doesn't know what's going on at this point. She says, look, this is how we got to do it. You got to go all the way. And she, I think she just did not want to go all the way under the water. And so I said, hey, look, let us do it one more time. Let's just do it really quick. And I was like, you grab her legs. I'm grabbing her upper body. (laughs) And so we did the prayer, and we threw her all the way down in the water and brought her up. It was, like, complete. And she was so happy. And she was, I think she was, like, my only 
baptism in that area that kept going to church afterwards, you know. Oh, but it was so amazing. funny because I knew, like, this was our last shot. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I went and threw the white clothes on. I'm like, this is a two-man job. Uh, By force, she's going all the way under. I got her upper body. You grab her you legs. You earned it. <laughs> we did the hard way. So anyway, that was my favorite, one of my uh, favorite ladies in my whole mission, though. Jimmy, that is a great experience. Thank you so much for sharing it. For LDS Mission Cast, I'm Sean Rapier. We at LDS Mission Cast do not endorse the forward dunking of your investigators and would encourage you to check with your mission president for further counsel for situations similar to the one that Jimmy Rex just described. I actually oversaw a baptism in my mission where the person being baptized was a bit overweight and the missionary couldn't really hold this person in control when they laid back to get baptized. And as they went back, this person kind of lost their balance and they hit their head on the wall of the font. So sometimes you have to do what you have to do in order to honor the spirit of the symbolism of the ordinance. But uh, anyway, so why I'm here in Cartagena, Colombia. I'm sitting in my hotel room in the Hilton Hotel in Cartagena, and I travel from time to time with my day job in the simultaneous interpretation industry. This is a convention that has brought me to this part of the world. This is my first time here. It's new to me. I first arrived in Bogota, where I flew in and stayed the night, and then I flew the next day here to Cartagena, where I'm working for the week. I've never been to any part of South America, and I found it to be an interesting place. New cultures, new landscapes, being in the Andes Mountains. It's been interesting to see the difference from the Rocky Mountains of Utah. It's summer in Utah where I live, which means that it's around 75 degrees Fahrenheit at night and around the high 90s to the low 100s during the day. Here in Colombia, people are wearing winter jackets when it hits 72 degrees Fahrenheit. This is what I saw in the middle of January in Hawaii. Some people see 70 degrees as cold enough to wear a jacket. And when I was standing at the airport, I was in shorts, sandals, and a t-shirt just basking in the comfort of what I considered to be a very refreshing atmosphere. There was such a difference of experience when it came to something as simple and common as temperature. What feels incredible to me was cold to others. And I think that we can see that in other life experiences that we can't just judge other people by our own reference with these experiences. But when I told the people, including my mother, I was coming to Colombia, specifically Cartagena, all I heard was drugs this, cocaine, heroin, you name it. It was as if Colombia was only known for one thing to people, at least to people I knew, and that was illegal drugs and cartels. Now, I'm not so ignorant to say that such things aren't happening. This country is also one of the worst when it comes to child sex trafficking. It's not comparable to the people of 4th Nephi, I can say that. Cartagena is drug-riddled, and there is a fair amount of the negatives that some people have out there. But that's the easy part to see from a map or from the news. But there's also this incredible, unique, and beautiful part as well. Cartagena has a city within a city. There's a part of this city that some refer to as the Old City or the Walled City. It's a part of town referred to on some maps as Gethsemane, a clear connection to the Christian religious traditions that can be found in the area. In this walled city are old buildings, preserved culture, as well as some more modern food and amenities. There's music, art, classic architecture, beautiful cathedrals and history all around. There's also, shall we say, street performers. 
that will try to get you to give them some money or tips by doing improv rap three inches from your face. Yeah, not exactly the romantic experience some of the postcards were showing, but it's part of this little part of town to take in. It's, it's a small part, but it happened. While I was in this little part of the walled city, I learned about St. Peter Claver. I think that's how you pronounce it. He is the Catholic patron saint of slaves who lived and his remains are still resting inside this walled city. This small part of a much larger city had such a beautiful and rich mixture and was beautiful in its own way that I began to think, is Cartagena, this drug kingpin capital of South America, as some movies and people have been taught to see, or is Cartagena what I saw in this incredible part of the city that I could have spent days in? Is that the real Cartagena? For Cartagena, it took going behind the walls that protected its most precious history to see it as one of the most beautiful cities I visited. I took some time to learn about this beautiful yet troubled country. So here's some facts. Colombia is the 25th largest country on Earth, right between South Africa and Ethiopia in size. It also has the 28th largest population in the world. It's bigger than France, bigger than the UK by far. Its length stretches as far as Los Angeles, California to Seattle, Washington. It's almost the same size as Alaska. But there is one temple in Bogota. A second temple is going to be dedicated in December of 2018. The country has a population of close to 50 million people but the total membership of the church is only 185,000. That means that 0.3% of the country is LDS. There is an MTC in Bogota, and there are currently five missions here in Colombia. That's the Barranquilla Mission, Bogota North Mission, Bogota South, Medellin Mission, and Cali Mission. Coming here, I could adhere to the fears and judgments of Cartagena as a place of drugs, underage prostitution, Or I could see it exclusively as the gorgeous and historic walled city. But the reality is that Cartagena is like many places and and people throughout the world, fallen but with divine origins. We are a mix of moral and immoral influences. As missionaries, when we knock on a door of a stranger or approach someone in the street and hope to share the gospel with them, remember we are all complex beings. We all have our issues and we all have our walls guarding what makes us special and unique. Sometimes it takes us getting beyond those walls that are in place to preserve what makes each person unique before we're able to see the divinity within. Regardless of where you serve, you will be encountering God's children. Wherever we find ourselves on this planet, there will be people who have rough, mortal exteriors that act as walls to their eternal spirit that sat with God and our Savior in the same pre-existence as us, and can all return to the same celestial kingdom. Those are just some of my thoughts being introduced to a very complicated city, Cartagena, Colombia. Thank you for listening to my little Colombian story there. If you want to check out the pictures I took of the walled city inside Cartagena, visit the posting for this episode at ldsmissioncast.com. I'll have them posted there with some descriptions. It's really an incredibly beautiful place, and I was only able to visit at night. Perhaps that added to the uniqueness of the experience. If we have listeners in San Antonio, Texas, Orlando, Florida, Kansas City, or Punta Cana, Dominican Republic, by the way, 
Go ahead and email us at contact at ldsmissioncast.com. And I'm going to be traveling there over the next couple of months. And maybe we can meet up and have you as a guest for an upcoming episode. Anyway, make sure to follow LDS Mission Cast on Facebook and Instagram. And stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of LDS Mission Cast. Mission Cast.